Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's a Monday morning. It's a new episode of Corner 3. Jared Sansbury, Scott Christopherson. Going to break down Iowa State's 77-72 to loss to Baylor on Saturday at Hilton Coliseum. Uh, and then we're going to look ahead to Wednesday night, a battle with the Texas Tech Red Raiders, who, uh, what, did, what did Texas Tech do on Saturday? I should know this. Uh, they, have, they did not play on Saturday. I was going to say, I don't think they, I think this will be their first conference game. Yeah, it'll be their first conference game. So, um, all right, we'll dive into these two games. But, man, it was a, it was a fun game on Saturday. Uh, I, I thought that, you know, Iowa State gave Baylor a, its best shot, you know, and the, the Cyclones were right there, man. They had an opportunity to be able to win the game despite shooting one of 14 from three-point range, despite Baylor, you know, regardless of what Baylor fans have been trying to tell me on Twitter, uh, Baylor probably playing one of its best offensive halves of the, or especially in the first half, one of its best offensive games of the season. Uh, it just as, you know, it was hard to be discouraged by it. Uh it you know, but at the same time, there were obviously some things that that kind of knocked the Cyclones and kept them from being able to win the game. Yeah, no, I I think Baylor uh, played a, a very good game offensively, but the Cyclones were able to hang in there and kind of go blow for blow with them and keep the game within striking distance. Just I think at the end of the day, a couple too many turnovers and just not enough made shots. I mean, you know, you you turn it over maybe three or four times less and convert two of those or. Uh, you know, go three or four for 14 from the three point line. And all of a sudden that's a uh, come down to the last possession style of ball game. So a uh, lot to be encouraged by, but um, obviously still a disappointing loss nonetheless. Yeah. So I've got the, the Bart Torvik pulled up from the game right now. Uh, Baylor's offensive adjusted offensive rating in the game was a 125.6, which is their second highest of the season behind only a 125.8 against Oregon, uh, which was a, a considerably different kind of game. They also put up a 106.1 adjusted defense in that game, which is by far their worst that they put up all year. Uh, that, you know, there's something to be said sometimes in college basketball, especially in a big game like that. A lot of times, man, it's just going to come down to who's going to have the people who the, the team that makes plays, you know, and on Saturday, it was Baylor that had the guys who made plays and it was everybody was making plays and they were making really difficult shots, you know, contested long shots, uh, really difficult contested finishes at the rim. And sometimes you just have to tip your cap to somebody like that was, that was what I walked away from there thinking is, man, I still think Iowa state is, I actually think Iowa state is probably 
better than what maybe we even realized. And, you know, people can be disappointed, but I still think that this team is, is very good. Uh, but Baylor is like really, really, really good. And that's like, sometimes you just got to be able to acknowledge like, shoot, man, that's a damn good team over there, you know? And that's a team that, that has a lot of experienced guys that have played in some really big games and had to make some really big shots before. And, and you could, I think you could see that. Yeah. I don't know that they'll play a team with, you know, four or five perimeter players that are as multidimensional and skilled and know how to play as they saw on Saturday. Um, I, you know, that that's going to be the standard for college basketball and for the big 12, right? Like if you can play against them, you can play against anybody. Um, as you said, I mean, I think there was a lot to be encouraged by. I think, uh, you know, coming into it, a lot of people were very optimistic. I think some people were still kind of trying to get a feel of like, all right, how's this, how's what we saw in the non-conference going to translate into conference play. I think we saw a lot of, gr- a lot of really good things carry over. Um, but you get into these games now and the margin for error for both teams is, you know, these games are going to come down to four or five possessions or just a couple of key things. And what will determine how many games Iowa state can win moving forward is how many of these things they can get cleaned up on a consistent basis. So I pulled up, I pulled this up the other day because I was just curious what this number was in Baylor's last 73 games. They've won 67 of them. I mean, that's like, that, that's gotta be, that's gotta be like unheard of in college basketball in recent years. I mean, I know Gonzaga's put up some pretty crazy things like that, but in a power five league, the way that they have done that, I mean, that's like, that's like otherworldly dude. It's like dynasty yeah. type of things. I mean, it, to be 67 and six in three years is insane. Yeah. And I think you saw that, you know, what I saw when I watched that game, obviously a very, very good team, but a team that knows how to win you know, a team that just, and I get it. They have different players from year to year, but you run into these programs. Like when I played, it was Kansas, Kansas had new guys every year, but there, there was just an aura about their program and their coaching staff where they expected to win. They knew how to win and they were going to win most nights. And that's kind of what you saw from Baylor, um, it, you know, which speaks to, you know, their coaching staff and their program, but you know, like we said, I mean, Iowa State was right there. I mean, just a couple of plays here and there, and that could have been a different game. So uh, a lot that the uh, the Cyclones can carry with them moving forward, knowing that they can go into any team in the, and play against any team in this league and, and go toe-to-toe with them and, and, and win games. All right, let's dive into the nitty-gritty of it. Should we talk about the positives or the negatives first? Let's just get the, let's get the negatives out of the way. Okay. Uh, this is a pretty glaring negative, but and we don't, you know, I want to say we're not trying to like bag on anybody or anything. We don't want to pile on, but man, Gabe Kalsher really struggled uh, yeah. in this one. And uh, he only went 0 of 2 from the field, but he had six turnovers. He fouled out after 25 minutes. Uh, he, he looked like a fish out of water at times, I think would be a good way to put it. Uh, it, he did not look overly confident on the offensive end, especially once he started turning the ball over. And that is going to be a significant concern. I think moving forward, because you, you know, Tyrese Hunter is not going to be a knockdown three point shooter. You and I were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but like, he's not going to be a knockdown three point shooter. Uh, you need to have someone out there who can be that balance a little bit with him to kind of take some of the pressure in the lane away 
and open mm-hmm. things up for guys like Isaiah and Tyrese. And if Gabe, if that, if Gabe is going to play the way that he did on Saturday, it is going to be very hard to keep him on the floor. Yeah. And I'll, I'll start with the positives with Gabe. I mean, the way that he guards is really impressive. He guards very hard. Um, you know, throughout the non-conference season, he's rebounded really well, gotten after loose balls. You know, he's had some decent games scoring. Obviously, the Memphis game was a big one, but he's really struggled shooting the ball now for, I mean, if you take the Memphis game out of it, I don't know what the percentages would be, but they're not great. You know, that's a tough place to be in. You know, he's played a lot of college basketball. I don't think he's a 20% three-point shooter in his career. I think it's more around like the 33% line. So, you know, reputation for being streaky, but the thing that I saw that is the most concerning for me is he looked like a guy that had lost his confidence. It's one thing to get into a shooting funk, but when you start as a player to lose, lose belief in yourself, you can't be on the court anymore um, because you can't have a, it's not like he's a center that blocks shots and rebounds and just can't score. I mean, he's your two guard playing again, playing alongside of, you know, two other perimeter players that are more drive downhill. I mean, they need a guy next to those guys that is confident and can step in and and stroke the basketball. And I think he can get out of his shooting slump, but not if he does not, if he's lost his confidence. And that's something that without being there on a day-to-day basis, and I, you know, he's putting in a ton of work in. I'm telling you, I've been in shooting funks. This is like the loneliest, most hollow feeling you'll ever feel as a college basketball player. So I do want to, you know, like I, I'm going to continue to kind of stay optimistic about him. But if he looks as timid as he did on Saturday, then I think they probably need to start looking for other options that are are more confident. You know, Caleb Grill, even Trey Jackson, you could play him at the two if he's confidently shooting the basketball. You, you When you don't have to guard your one and your two very closely on the perimeter because of their shooting ability, it's pretty much impossible to run coherent offense mm-hmm. right i just added it up as you were talking uh take out the memphis game he's a 11 of 50 from three for 22 percent uh you know and like even if you're not going to knock down shots like you can still be out there if you're able to attack and you're able to make things happen for other people but mm-hmm. that was when i felt like it became an issue was when the inability, his inability to score was impacting his ability to really do anything offensively and make any sort of an impact. And I thought that's when you started to see him turn the ball over because Mm -hmm. he was so concerned about not messing up that then he started to mess up. You know, I I think the big thing for him, and again, I don't know Gabe personally, and trust me, nobody wants Gabe to snap out of this more than, you know, you and I and the fans, right? Like, I mean, I I want him to have more 20 and 30 point games like he had against Memphis. He's a very likable player to watch as far as his approach to the game. I don't know him personally well, but when I was out by him in New York, he seems like a really good young man. So like, I I don't want to lose sight of Mm -hmm. the positives about Gabe Kalshur, but shooting for me is much better looked at as a process rather than an end result. And I think for him, if he can get to a place where I'm shooting the basketball because it's the right basketball play. I'm driving the basketball with conviction and purpose. One or two dribbles into a shot, into a pass for a teammate because it's the right basketball play. He looks to me like a guy that's thinking a lot about shooting right now. And as a shooter, there's nothing worse you can do 
than think a lot about shooting while the game is going on. You'll get in your head so fast. It's like in golf, having the yips. If, if he can get that corrected, I think he can right this ship, get back to being that 33, 35% three point shooter that he's been his career that he's capable of being that this team needs him to be. But you know, sports can be a mental game. And, and, and when you get into these mental funks, it can take, you know, it can take its toll on guys. And I just, I, I hope he hasn't lost his belief in himself. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm right there with you. And I, it is concerning to me when you look at his stat line and you know that he played 25 minutes, he didn't attempt a two-pointer. Like he shot the two three-pointers on one possession. And, you know, he is, he is a good player playing downhill. Like he's yep. not a guy who can't attack the rim, you know, he, but he needs to be willing to do that. And he needs to be confident in doing it. And it, that was just like missing for some reason, you know, and I don't know if it's the presence of the big guys that Baylor had some of the length that they had. And like, don't get me wrong. Baylor's a really good defensive team. So it's like, sometimes it's easier said than done to be like, okay, you need to attack the rim. But I, I would be fine with it if it's like if he's going to go hard to the rim and attack the rim, like you said, with conviction and you might make some mistakes and you might do some, you know, you might turn the ball over a few times. I would rather see you turn the ball over like that than turn the ball over looking like you don't know what you need to do or you're scared to do something wrong. Being tentative. Yeah. I mean, when he when he was putting the ball on the floor, he looked unsure of where, you know, should I be putting the ball on the floor? How far should I go in? Rather than just playing, you can tell he was thinking a lot. And when you when you think at this level against this type of competition, bad things are going to happen because they're so fast. The the margin for error as far as you know your decision making is so small that you have to be aggressive. You have to play downhill. And you know, I think for him, you know, get yourself to the free throw line. Get out on the fast break and and, and try to get a layup. Get a cut, a back cut. And you know, Baylor did give up some cuts, some stuff mm-hmm. off of cuts do some things to try to get the ball in the basket, you know, a, a different way than shooting the three and just see if you can't get some, some positive flow going in your game. And all of a sudden now the basket looks a little bit bigger and you're, you're, you're catching and shooting it a little bit quicker. I mean, he was very tentative on those two shots. I, you know, I, I think, you know, if you watch him shoot compared to Caleb grill, getting it off, I mean, Caleb's getting it off much quicker right now than he is. So I think that what Gabe ha- is battling through is, is, is correctable. But it, it's it's a task, man. It's not something that I think is just, oh, you come to the gym tomorrow and it's gone. Like, I, I think this has gotten in his head a little bit. And I think for him, the less he thinks about shooting and the more he just thinks about making the right basketball play, I think in the long run, those that's what's going to lead to better things happening for him. And I think, too, this game, I mean, I thought that it put into perspective the further development that you need to see from Tyrese Hunter. Tyrese Hunter is a very good player as a freshman, like a very good point guard at at the college basketball level as a freshman. There are certain things in his game that you and I have talked about even previously on this podcast that you need to continue to see from him as his development progresses. A big piece of that is being able to finish around length in the paint that is going to be a neutralizer for him because at the end of the day, he's not a very big guy and he's Mm -hmm. super, super athletic. And you can tell at times, I think when he goes to the rim that he is still relying on the fact that he is more athletic than most people, you know, but the next piece is how do you take being such a great athlete? How do you harness that and use the change of pace 
off the dribble? How do you use your jump stops? How do you use your floater? How do you, are you able to contort your body in the air to be able to finish around those things rather than just being like, I'm going downhill. I'm going to go right at this guy who's six foot 10 with, and his arms are going to be at the top of the backboard by the time he shoots it. I'm going right at him and I'm going to see what happens, you know? And like, that's how do you go? You just have to go from that point where right now Tyrese Hunter is a, a guy who's going to be a, you know, he would be an all freshman type of player in the league right up there. I think in the mix to be freshman of the year in the league to go in and being like an all conference, second team, first team, all league type of player. Those are the things that you need to see from him. And obviously, like I said, he's a freshman, he's young, he's 18 years old. So he's got time to, to learn those things, but that's the next piece. And I thought that this game, you really started to see like, okay, once he has these things, this is what he'll be able to do. But until he's got those things in his bag, then, you know, you're going to play playing at a bit of a disadvantage in that sense. Having elite athleticism can be a, it's obviously a major league blessing, but it can, you don't, I don't want to say it's a curse, but you're not forced to learn things that other people that don't necessarily have those physical gifts are. One of the things that I think would, there's two things that I would think would really help Tyrese out. One is developing a floater. He probably hasn't had to shoot many floaters because when he gets by guys and at the high school level and an AU, he's so far by them that he can just rise up and, you know, a lot of times lay it over the rim or just punch it home. Mm-hmm. Those are going to be few and far between in big 12 play. So developing a floater, uh, whether it's off of two feet or off of one, I think is going to be a a real difference maker for him. And then the other thing is when he's driving by guys, you'll notice that when the big guy comes to meet him, he starts to kind of fade off to like, let's say he's on the right side, right? He fades to the right corner of the backboard. That's the opposite of what you want to do. You're giving the big guy a step to come over to you and now extend and come at you. When he gets by him, he should drive to the middle of the big man's chest Mm-hmm. and tr- work on getting to the foul line. What that's going to do is it's going to take the airspace away, which is going to inhibit their ability to use their length. You're going to put pressure on the refs. You beat your guy refs. W- once you break down the defense, the refs have a tendency to think you deserve the foul call. If there's contact, go to the big guys, middle of the big man's chest and extend out from there and try to finish or go to the big middle of the big man's chest and then pitch it to pitch it outside or pitch it down to the big man for a dunk. The last thing you want to do is start to fade from them. Cause that's what allows that guy to get to that 11 and a half feet. And you're not going to finish over that very often. So those are two adjustments that I think if he can make, I think that could really take, take his game to the next level. And yes, Tyrese is a great player for a freshman, but if this team wants to be a, a five seed or a four seed or a six seed in the NCAA tournament, they don't need him to be a great freshman. They need him to be a great point guard. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of the next step for him. It's almost like uh, like attacking the rim is kind of like uh, cross sport analogy here. Uh, I'm going to sound like uh, uh, Jeff Woody on the on football and random things, but uh, it's almost like being a defensive end and you're pass rushing and you're you need to be able to keep from getting the offensive lineman's like hands locked on you extended, you know, and how you have to be able to keep those hands away from you and keep in his chest to where then you can work off of that, you know? Right. And if you can, if that person gets you extended, you're probably done, but it's like, you can't allow their length to come into play at that point. And two, when you go into somebody's chest, their hands are going to come down. Like that's just basic 
physics of the human body, you know, it's called driving to contact. Yeah. You know, and a guy like Steve Nash was phenomenal at it because he had to be, whereas Tyrese to this point in time just probably hasn't been forced to learn that, but Mm -hmm. because of his size and because he's not an elite shooter and the way teams are going to guard him, he, he needs to learn to drive to contact when Tyrese is a senior, he's going to shoot 10 plus free throws a game. Yeah. We just want to get him there quicker than three, four years down the road. Right there. Right. He shot only four, uh, on, on Saturday. And that was in a game that, I mean, had quite, I mean, Iowa state drew a lot of fouls and shot 27 free throws in the game. Um, but those are, I mean, those negatives are fixable. I think, especially with Tyrese, like and, and Tyrese played a b- better in the second half. Yeah, Tyrese, you know, which, which has been a common half. thing for him when he struggled early in games. He's responded in second halves, um, and you know, I, I to me, if I'm coaching Tyrese, I need you to be a defensive player of the year in the Big Twelve now today, and I think he has that sort of ability already. I need you to not just be good, not just hold your own. I need you to be disruptive and. I need you to dominate your matchup. And when you do that, you're going to create opportunities to get out on the break. And when you get out on the break, I need you to be more aggressive getting out on the break and putting your head on the rim. I think he's, I want him to be a little bit more aggressive. If I'm coaching him, you're going to make some mistakes, right? You're going to turn the ball over. That's going to happen. It happens to everybody. I don't want you to make mistakes being tentative. I want you to make mistakes getting downhill. And if a guy blocks your shot, or if you drive in there and you think you can hit a shooter and, it goes off your foot or a guy gets a hand on it and you like, just learn from it and let's not make the same mistake twice, right. but you're too vial- valuable to this team. And you're too good for me to have you not be pushing the envelope of aggressiveness. And I actually think that Tyrese has proven to be a very smart player. He will learn from those things very quickly and it'll actually get him in a, in more of a game flow quicker. And I think too, when, I mean, if you want to look at what, Tyrese needs to do like I think a best thing for him was for him to have to play against James Akinjo for Baylor I mean you know very similar size of player I don't know if Akinjo is quite the natural athlete that Tyrese is but Tyrese also isn't quite the shooter that James Akinjo is right but what James Akinjo is able to do attacking the rim man like you if for what we're talking about turn the game back on and watch how that guy attacks the rim he drives that's a guy contact. Who, I was going to say, that's a guy who attacks the rim with ferocity and he yep. is able to finish through contact because of that. He's not going in there with the idea that, Hey, I'm going to try and avoid getting my shot blocked. He goes in there like, Hey, my shot get, might get blocked, but they're going to remember that I came in there. That's for sure. You know? Yeah. And, and I respect that. And that's like, that's part of what makes him really good. I mean, he, he controlled the game as a point guard, you know? And, uh, it, that was, there were multiple times where I texted you and I was just like, man, this guy is just, he's, he is really, really good. And uh, for them to have gone from having Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler to having him like talk about a, a, a luxury of riches. Like, I don't know yeah. that it could get much better than that to have those three point guards in a two, three year stretch. No. Yeah. You might, might be looking at a first team all league guard. Oh, for sure. When all is said and done there. I mean, he's, you know, and, and maybe even a, you know, all American of some sort, you know, yeah. first, second, third team, something like that. Yeah, no, he was, uh, he was very impressive. I was, if I was a young player looking to be a guard in college basketball, he would be a guy I'd be looking up to. Absolutely. Um, all right. The positives, Isaiah Brockington is still as tough to guard as any player in this league. Uh, and I, I think that that has become blatantly clear at this point. 
didn't shoot the ball overly well in the second half. But, um, man, there were stretches in the first half where he did everything. Like, he controlled mm-hmm. everything. The scoring, the rebounding, the uh, defense. He was setting the tone down there with the way that he was getting after people and getting up into people defensively. I mean, he just is – he is as good, I think, of a two-way player as Iowa State has had in, in quite a while. You know, like not just being a good scorer. Uh, Mariel Shayok was a pretty good defender. Isaiah Brockman is a better defender than he is, and his rebounding takes him to another level, but he's not quite as good as a scorer as what Mariel was. But, like, he is – he's on another level, I think, when you look at it as being a two-way type of guy, being a guy who can impact the game on both ends of the floor. Dominant rebounder as a guard, has the ability to take – you know, he took – I forget the – Keegan from Iowa, I forget his full name uh, offhand here, but yeah, I mean, he essentially nullified him. That's a lottery pick. Uh, Yeah, no, he, and, and to be honest, Iowa state needs him to be a 20 point a game guy in league play. They need him to be an eight plus rebound a game guy and dominate his matchup on the defensive end and just be a tone setter. I mean, he's, he's the the leader of this team um, playing at a high, high level. And I, I I think he's going to play even better as the year wears on, because I think he's really now getting comfortable being that go-to guy. I don't think it bothers him quite as much as it did early. If he misses a couple of shots in a row, I think he's like, I'm just going to play through this because this team needs me. And yeah, I, I, to me, that's, he's, he's definitely a positive. And I I think that he's trajecting, in a really positive direction moving forward. And, and to be honest, when you think about how they're going to attack Texas tech on Wednesday night, we talk about this a little bit, getting him the ball at the free throw line against their, they call it man to man, but essentially when you get the ball on the side, it's a matchup zone. Yeah. That's the, how Iowa no state's going to break that. Yeah. That's how Iowa state's going to break that defense down. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he played 36 minutes. I don't think 36 minutes was enough. No, it wasn't. Them. I mean, I, there, <laughs> It has gotten to the point where Isaiah Brockington's ass should not touch the bench unless it's a timeout or he's hurt. I think you're probably right. Otherwise it's, it's 40 minutes and it, you know, you don't want to have to play people 40 minutes, but sometimes you just have to. And like, I think well, that that's where they're at almost right now with Isaiah. You're playing him 40 minutes because he's playing so well and he's so yeah. valuable to you. You're not playing him 40 minutes as an indictment on anybody else on the team. He's just, I mean, Isaiah Brockington is absolutely right now today if the season ends an all league big 12 he's player. first team all first team all conference like yeah. he's he's just been so good and that's where yeah you just you can't if i'm not i'm not taking him off the court unless i have to right in the the stretches when he did come out of the game things became so disjointed especially offensively that it was it just if he is a steadying presence you know. I was just going to say, he calms it, the other players on the court down. Yeah, because when he comes out of the game, things just like start to get a little haywire. People start acting weird and start doing things that they normally would not do. You need that guy out there that's going to be the one who's like, all right, we're at the end of the clock or we're you know, in a situation where we're just getting into, it's tough getting into our offense, get the ball to Isaiah and let him do his thing, you know? But when you take him out of the game, they don't have anybody else who can really do that, that, that let him do his thing. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that right now, if, if he didn't play 40 minutes against Texas tech, I would probably be surprised, but Texas tech's a really hard team to play against because of how physical they are. So it just is, uh, it, it will be interesting to see how that continues, but I would be very surprised if he is not 36 minutes plus 
Well, and I think one thing that they need to do when, because you're not going to be able to play in 40 minutes every game, inevitably for various reasons, they need to identify, all right, when he's not in the game, who are we and how are we going to play offensively? Because right now everybody looks a little lost Mm -hmm. on what to do without him on the court. So I don't know if that's, all right, we're going to try to get, Anaruna the ball at the high post and the low post. We're going to go to some high ball screen stuff with Tyrese. We're going to run Caleb and Gabe off some screens, whatever it is, but they, they lack a little bit of, of purpose and direction without him on the court. And that again, it's not it, all it takes is a couple of possessions in these types of games right. for it to go wrong. And you don't want to have a game get away from you because he needed 90 seconds of rest. And I think the perfect example of that is there was a stretch right at the end of the first half where I think Baylor got it up to 10, maybe. I can't yeah. remember for sure, but I wish they had a lineup. I think it was Trey Jackson, Caleb Grill, Gabe Kalsher, Jazz, and Robert Jones. And it was like a really short stretch, but the lead went it, from it, five to 10 instantly, it seemed like. And it was yeah. one of those points where it's like, okay, you're pretty squarely in the danger zone right now against this team where you cannot afford to let this hole get very deep. If I'm, if I'm taking Isaiah out of the game, I've definitely got Tyrese, Caleb Grill, uh, Anaruna, and Jazz on the floor. Mm-hmm. That, that, that To me, that's the only conditions I'm taking him out of the game on because, you know, to me, you know, Jazz and Caleb give you a little bit more shooting. Anaruna's got some juice to his game. Tyrese has got, obviously, you know, an incredible speed. So if, I'm, if I've got... Rockington out of the game. I'm not doing it unless those four players are on the court. Who the fifth guy is, you know, that can be a matchup thing. But I, right. I just, otherwise, it's it, it just it's too disjointed to your point. And that one could have gotten away from them at the end of the first half. There, thankfully, it didn't. But right, you know, it. Yeah, it, it it run. I think I remember this because I I was going to tweet out the three minutes and 50, 43 seconds right before halftime. Those it was like that was a crucial stretch of whether or not they were going to be able to keep themselves within striking distance going into halftime, which they did. And that's, you got to give a credit to him for that. Uh, but I'm glad you bring up Tristan Anaruna because, you know, he has played his two best games at Iowa State in the last two, uh, played 28 minutes on Saturday, 23 points, went eight of 11 from the field, seven of eight from the free throw line. He had eight rebounds. You'd love to see that uh, kind of production from him on the glass. He also had three steals as well. Um, you know, he... He is really, really good at finishing off of putbacks uh, on the offensive glass. Like that is the one thing I think is so impressive about him or is one of the things. The thing I want to see from him next, how can you run offense through him? You know, like what can he do for you as a playmaker? What can you do with him at starting at the top of the key? How can he kind of become someone, okay, we can throw the ball to Tristan and he can make something happen rather than it being, okay, we need to put up a shot so that Tristan can go and get the offensive rebound and then he can make something happen. Well, and that's, yeah, I I think that's a great point. Uh, The fact that he's been productive because he's been active on the offensive glass and he's been finishing around the basket. I think Tristan is there as it stands right now today. Okay. A year from now, I would put Tyrese ahead of him, but as it stands now today, big 12 play, Tristan is their second most talented offensive player. As far as he can do a variety of things, he can drive it, shoot it, finish around the basket. He's a good offensive rebounder. He can run on the break. And I think now that he's starting to get confident, and he's starting to get his confidence under him. I look for TJ to say, okay, now we're going to, you're doing all these other things to get yourself involved in the game. Now we're going to run some stuff for you and through you. 
um, to try to give you a bigger role. And, and again, you know, when I think about how they're going to attack this defense, I watched them, this uh, Texas tech this morning, you're going to get the ball to the high post, or you're going to throw the ball into the low post and then cut off of that and, and screen away off of that. You, Texas Tech doesn't allow you to do traditional drive, you know, dribble drive motion type of, of game. They, they, you have to almost play them like you're playing a zone when you think about how you want to try to dice them up. So I look to throw the ball to him and Jazz on the low post or George and cut off of that, or I look to get the ball into the high post to Brockington and let him make plays. Um, so that that could be something we see as early as Wednesday night, like them having some stuff set up for him to try to take advantage of how they're going to be played. Yeah. And I think that the coaching staff deserves a great deal of credit for how he's been able to come along because he's made massive strides, even from where they were a month ago, Mm -hmm. you know, and he is just so clearly so much more comfortable on the floor than what he was before. And it's one of those things, man, like this, that was the player that, you know, Bill self saw when he was recruiting him to go to Kansas. Like that's the kind of player who would play at Kansas. And that's what uh, it maybe took some time to get him there. And I think that there was some tentative uh, pieces of it early on, but like, as he's been able to uh, become an aggressor on the floor, I think that that's been, like I said, you got to give a lot of credit to the staff for being able to pull that out of him. And he can tell that he's clearly worked really hard to be able to, to use his natural ability and kind of get that to where it translates to the floor. Yeah. And and the next step for him is, you know, I talked about Isaiah getting comfortable playing through, you know, three or four missed shots in a row. The next step for Tristan is, all right, you come out on, let's say Wednesday night in the first four, six minutes, you miss a couple of bunnies. You can't crawl into a shell and just kind of disappear the rest of the game. You have to continue this. You're too valuable to this team. You're too good of a player for this team. You just have to play through that. And if that means you have a night where you go three for 13, then so be it. Play through it and move on. And I think as he gets more and more confident and more and more comfortable, you know, everybody sees he's one of the best players on the team. Hopefully that gives him the permission. He gives himself permission to play through some of those stretches that are just inevitable. Everybody has stretches where it doesn't go their way. So that's, that to me is the next step for him. Absolutely. Oh, excuse me. Um, all right, so let's look ahead to Wednesday night. Uh, Texas Tech, another team. I mean, every team is going to be really good defensively. But uh, another team that's really good uh, defensively, elite defensively, ninth in, in the nation in Ken Palm, in adjusted defense. The difference between them and, and Baylor, uh, not quite as adept offensively as, no. what the, uh, as what the Baylor Bears are. Um, Texas Tech's 10 and two only loss or only losses were their one true road game at, at Providence. And then they lost to Gonzaga, uh, which a lot of teams are going to lose to Gonzaga. But, um, you know, you look at the at their numbers. The only thing that they do offensively that's elite is crash the offensive glass, uh, which is going to obviously make that a, a massive key uh, Wednesday night. But this is the kind of team that, you know, if Iowa State can score 70 against them, they will win. Like, I feel pretty confident in saying that one. And, you know, I think that most of these Big 12 games, if they can score 70, they're going to win. But this is probably going to be considerably lower possession game. It's going to be a lot slower. Uh, Texas Tech is 301st nationally in adjusted tempo. So, you know, this is going to be a bring your hard hat and lunch pail type of game. Uh, the other one was, it, you know, kind of like that. But this is like first one to 50 might win 
Yep. Yeah. And, and I think Iowa state has to recognize that where they're going to attack them because they're very good with their traps. They're very good with their, their rotations. And this is going to be a different the, attacking them will be different than any team they've played this year. I, I really think getting the ball, they will let you throw the ball into the post. They will let you throw the ball into the high post. They will leave that open. They're not going to let you rotate the ball, rotate the ball, dribble, drive, dribble, drive. They're like, they're, they've kind of come up with the defense to guard the modern day, most modern day college basketball offensive attacks. Mm-hmm. This is going to be more like attacking a zone. And then, when you do get the defense broken down and you have a chance to drive the basketball, you have to drive to contact and all five guys that that attack the basket. It has to be going to contact because this team is so athletic and so long one through five. If you don't, and you give them that space I was talking about with Tyrese, they are going to block shots. They are going to affect your shot. So I look for Iowa state. How many times can they get to the free throw line will probably be a pretty good indicator of how, well, they're attacking Texas Tech. And then defensively, I think you hit the nail on that. They need to turn Texas Tech over. I don't think Texas Tech has a great ball handling team. And then they need to clean up the defensive glass because that they're going to attack Iowa State there. And Iowa State has especially their guards. I didn't think their guards rebounded quite as hard as they did in the first 12 games. I didn't think they rebounded quite as hard on, on uh, Saturday. I thought that was a factor in that game. They need all five guys to go with the reckless abandon of the defensive glass. And I don't know the answer to this, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'll have to dive dive into this here uh, today and and tomorrow. Terrence Shannon has only played in six games for them, and that's a guy who would is an all league type of player. If he plays, they are significantly better. Uh, but if he doesn't. I mean, that's a pretty significant piece for them to not have. He did not play in their last three games before Christmas uh, or their their last three uh, non-conference games. And then he didn't play at three at the beginning of the year. And I'm not 100% sure why, but I'm, I'm going to have to figure that out. But if they don't have him, you know, I think that that would be a, a significant playing field leveler. And I, I think I would pick Iowa State to win at that point if they don't have him. But that... I, I still think Iowa State will probably win this game anyway. You know, we talked about this first six game stretch, and it's like if you could go three and three, then it would be really hard to not be pretty happy with that. Uh, but it's it comes down to what you said. Like, can you come out and can you can you be tough enough to do those things to play to contact? Can you be tough enough and be the aggressor and be the tougher team? Texas Tech is going to, you know, figuratively punch you in the mouth. Like that's just what it's like to play them. And, uh, you know, if you can either punch them back or take that blow and just keep on playing, then you're going to be in good shape. And I think we're going to know pretty early what the tenor of this game is going to be. And at the end of the day, too, the last two times that Texas Tech has come to Hilton Coliseum, Iowa State has lost by 30 or more points. I do not expect that to be the case again. I I can say that with 100% certainty. Yeah, I think that a lot of what... A lot of what determines how many games you're able to grind out and win in league play is how, how many times can you learn from what you did wrong and correct it right away? Mm-hmm. So when I look at Saturday's game, the guards have got to rebound harder, too many careless turnovers. I don't care if you attack, if you are driving to the basket and you're going to try to rise up on somebody or you're going to kick it out for a three, I've got zero issue with those types of turnovers, but the needless cross court pass just to make one, the, lazy 
I don't know what to do drive where I'm just kind of lost and confused and I just dribble whatever. They need to eliminate that. If they do those two things, I think they're going to have a much, I think they're going to win. I, I, I believe that they will win. I don't believe they'll go one for 14 again, but if they come out and they go and they, the guards don't rebound and they drive without purpose on offense, that will be a, a very, very tough thing to overcome for them. So that to me is the, what will decide Wednesday night. I think this will be an even tougher team where if you dig yourself a hole, it's going to be a lot harder to come back from too. Like you yeah, can't, five points will feel like 10 and 10 will feel like a 20 point lead. Exactly. For because both teams, for they, both teams. Right. And they're going to take the air out of the ball. Like this is going to be a slower than hell game, you know, and it's going to be a rock fight, but uh, it should be fun, man. All of them uh, here in the league should be fun. We'll, uh, we'll have to do another podcast after that one uh, ahead of uh, Saturday when Iowa state goes on the road to take on Oklahoma. All right, man. Do you have any final thoughts here before, uh, before we sign off? No final thoughts, man. Just excited to excited to watch this one on Wednesday. Absolutely. We'll talk to you guys again soon here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Peace.